Welcome to Monday Morning Homilist. I'm Father Manny Alvarez. And I'm Jorge Santibanez. Every Monday morning, we dive deeper into the previous Sunday's readings and homilies. And towards the end, we veer off to talk about life and definitely talk a little sports. Enjoy. Good morning. Happy Monday, Father. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I love I love MAS weekend. It was a beautiful reading yesterday. Lots to talk about today. Oh yeah. Let's get into it. It's a it's a it packed reading. There's there's a lot of layers to it. There's a whole retreat based on this yep. reading. So we'll get into it because um there's a there's so much going on in the resurrection accounts. And obviously you have the resurrection accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all differ, but you know, all have common elements. But Luke is the only one that has this passage of, you know, the two disciples that are going to Emmaus. Now the, I started off the homily yesterday by saying Emmaus is not a destination. It is a point of departure. That's something you and I have talked about a lot, and your reading on that is yeah. Well, we actually had a whole podcast on this last year too. Because we had a Mayus last. We didn't have a Mayus last. We didn't year. have a Mayus. We, no, we've. We didn't. Oh, then it's this just the, the conversations that yeah. we've had. Private. Uh, forget. We, we've been doing this for two years now. <laughs> yeah, but but to your to your point, and not just your point, the point of the of the of the scripture passage, and something that the popes have reflected on, and you know we see over and over and over again. They're going to Emmaus because they've given up, mm-hmm. you know, and and the Lord encounters them on the way and then calls them out of Emmaus, right? You know, sends them sends them back on a mission. So, you know, and it's that it's that tricky balance of, you know, they're going home, but they're but they're going to Emmaus because they're kind of walking the wrong direction. The Lord walks with them and then says, "All right, this is who I am. Now, go on. Now I have a mission for you. I, I have to send you." back out into the world right now why were they sad because the gospel says that they were downcast they were saddened they were they had given up hope like you like you said but yesterday i went back and i said okay but for for us to understand this better we have to okay what happened this is it starts off in the 13th verse of, of the 24th chapter what happened in the first 12 verses well what happened was what we heard during Easter week. First day of the week, at daybreak, they went down to the tomb. Women, it was Mary Magdalene. They did not find Jesus there. While they were they were puzzling over this. Two men in dazzling garments, two angels basically, were there, and the girl and the women were terrified and bowed their heads. And they said, a beautiful line uh, in Scripture: "Why do you seek the living among the dead?" He is not here, but has been raised. Remember what he said to you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and rise on the third day. And then the women remembered his words. Then they returned from the doom and announced all these things to the eleven and to all the others. The women were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of the Mary, and Mary, the mother of James. The other who accompanied them also told this to the apostles. But their story seemed like nonsense. 
and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, bent down, and saw the burial cloths alone. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. Okay, boom. Those are the first 12 verses. See, Thomas gets a bad rap, but these Emmaus guys. <laughs> it's the same thing. You know, yeah, they, they're they, doubting. The women have announced what they saw, what they experienced, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're going, nah, this is too much for me. Um, I'm going to go look elsewhere. And they leave. And, and notice how St. Luke points out, and I mentioned this in my Spanish homily yesterday, you know, uh, that it was like nonsense. And, and Luke's being a little PC there. He's like, oh, these hysterical yeah. women are thinking that Jesus raised from the dead. The, you know, the disciples were incredulous. They were like, no, we saw him die. Mm-hmm. He can't be alive. Even though Jesus, as the angels reminded the women, had said he would rise on the third day. So Peter goes, sees the tomb, is amazed. It's all Luke says to us. And then we pick up the disciples of Emmaus. That very day, two of them were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem. So we don't know if they had heard. Well, they did. We do know because they said it to Jesus later on. That they had heard, they did hear what the women had said. But even on that, under that backdrop, they went home defeated because, you know, they were sad, they were downcast, they were walking away. And this is what's so beautiful about our Lord, that he encounters us wherever we may be. And I said, you know, I was planning this homily all week, and then I look at, on Saturday night, late Saturday night, I look at what Bishop Barron, you know, published, and the title of his homily was Walking in the Wrong Direction. The title of my homily was Stuck in a Maze, which is the title of this podcast. And I'm like, okay, the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something. If I'm saying this and another and, and somebody else is saying this, and I printed a homily for, or a reflection from the Holy Father in the bulletin. From three years ago. From three years ago. During the, the height of the pandemic, which more or less is saying this, you know, I think the Holy Spirit is trying to, to help us focus on something specific. All right? So, disciples are going on the way, and while they were conversing and debating, okay, so they're, pro- they're probably going back and forth, and I'm thinking of like two senators, or, or you know, two con- <laughs> they're debating, you know, they're going back and forth. Well, why did this happen? Why didn't Jesus do this? And why didn't Jesus do that? So, Jesus appears. They don't recognize him. Their eyes are prevented from recognizing him. And he asks them, what are you discussing as you go along the way? They stopped looking downcast. Interesting that in the Spanish translation, Jesus, the way that it's translated specific is, what are you talking about in your sadness? Mm. So it's Jesus that points out right. the sadness. I found that interesting yesterday. I've never, I had never noticed that distinction until yesterday. That's why the living word of God is constantly, yeah. you know, you know, speaking to us in different ways. They stopped looking down past one named Cleopas said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened and taken place? Here in these days? And Jesus replied, what sort of things? They answered, well, they go through what happened. Jesus the Nazarene, who was prophet mighty indeed and word before and mighty indeed and word before God, and all the people, how the chief priests and rulers both handed him over to death and crucified. But we were now this is what they were debating. That's this is why they were downcast. This is why they were going back in defeat. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, 
It is now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those of us, then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. All right, let's pause there. So it's Easter morning. It's Easter, it, it's Easter sometime in, during the day. They know. Mm-hmm. In other words, the first 12 verses that we read, they know what happened that morning. Yep. They had heard the testimony and still sounded defeated, still were downcast. And it is Jesus himself who in the next verse says, Oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all the prophets spoke. Now, this is all of us. Because how many times have we been downcast in our faith? How many times when knowing the ins and outs of our faith, we ask, where is God? Why didn't God come through? Why didn't God do what he promised? Well, here's the the thing. God always, and and Dr. Scott Hahn always says this. We have a God who always fulfills his promises. The thing is that they were maybe a little like Judas, who wanted Jesus to redeem Israel. In a particular way. Yeah, in a particular way, in a political way. And I'm not saying that this is what the disciples of Emmaus wanted, but here they were, and these had to be men who were close to the Twelve, men who were close to these women, men who were present when they went over to, uh, when they heard all these things taking place, because they went over the, you know, the the women went to the Eleven. So these two weren't there, because the Eleven were the disciples, minus Judas, obviously. But they must have been in proximity to hear all these things. They had to leave the upper room, Peter, to go see the tomb. So they had to have heard all these things. So they were not the not the close inner circle, but part of like, for example, in Luke's gospel, he appoints 72. Mm-hmm. So it could have been one of those, two of those guys. But they're still downcast. And what's so beautiful is that Jesus even though they're walking in the wrong direction, they're walking away from where the action is, they're walking away from the resurrection, they're walking away from the testimony of the women, they're walking away from the testimony of St. Peter, There's that's where Jesus encounters them. Just like he encounters us. When we are downcast, when we feel defeated, when we feel betrayed, when we feel that there's no more hope, that's where Jesus encounters them. And it's like, if, if you want to flash forward a little bit, that's where Jesus encounters Peter when Peter's trying to flee Rome from his yep. crucifixion. Quo vadis. Quo vadis, Domini. Where are you going, Lord? I'm going to Rome to be crucified. Well, if you're not going to do it, I'll go and be crucified yep. again. So, and then Peter returns. Again, Jesus encountering us, because Peter, even though lives a beautiful, holy life, after the resurrection, filled with the Holy Spirit, even at the end, Peter kind of, as we say in Spanish, baguea en su fe, kind of is like, okay, I'm, I'm wobbling here in my faith, and walks away, walking in the wrong direction. 
And even when we're walking in the wrong direction, boom, that's where Jesus hits us. And this this is the part, probably my favorite part of the story, is Jesus, in in the verses that come next, you know, he doesn't he doesn't look at them like you idiots. You know, I'm right here. You know, he he continues to walk with them, and then as as we'll read now, starting with Moses and all through the prophets, begins to explain everything that took place that had to have taken place. You know, so so he, yes, he could have snapped his fingers and been like, "Hey, I'm it's here. me. Yeah. I'm right here." You know, but but he takes continuing to walk in the wrong direction. He takes the time to explain. And walks all the way with them to their destination, and that's where he reveals them. And that's where the climax of the story is, is at table in Emmaus, when they recognize Jesus, when he breaks the bread, which is a true Eucharistic moment. And you could say, no, you could say it's what the fathers of the church have always said. This entire passage is the Mass. Starting from the beginning, we're downcast when we come into Mass, we acknowledge our sins, we beat our breasts, and then the scriptures are broken open for us. Because like you said, starting with Moses and all the prophets, he starts explaining to them. Okay? He interpreted them what referred to him in all the scriptures. And so he walks with them, explains to them the, the, the scriptures. Their hearts are burning. They don't want him to leave. Stay with us, Lord, for it's getting late. He stays with them. Breaks the bread. Boom. They recognize him, and he vanishes. So it's a reminder that nothing in our faith makes sense without the Eucharist. Everything points back to it. Say it over and over again. In Holy Mass, we hear the scriptures broken open for us. Our hearts are supposed to be on fire as we listen to them. And then we encounter Jesus himself at this table. But it's not over yet. But it's not over yet. (laughs) Why does Jesus vanish? You know, going back to Bishop Barron, he said, he, he quoted Hans Urs von Balthasar, which is a, a magnificent theologian of the 20th century, we read in seminary. Uh, he, von Balthasar said that Jesus vanished immediately after being recognized to disappear into the mission of the church. He disappears into the mission of the church. And it's now, at this point, that the disciples, after they recognized him, when their eyes were opened and he vanished from their sight, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us when he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven and those with them. They go back and start walking in the right direction. And the reason why Bishop Barron said walking in the wrong direction is because he makes a point that everything in St. Luke's Gospel is pointed, is oriented towards Jerusalem. Everything happens in Jerusalem. Jesus' Jesus' entire you know ministry is oriented towards Jerusalem because he knows that's where the story is going to come you know, to its climax. That's where he is going to be handed over. That's where he's going to be, you know, suffer his passion. That's where he's going to be crucified. That's where he gives us the Last Supper. Where he gives us his body and blood. That's where he dies. That's where he rises from the dead. That's where he ascends into heaven. That's where we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Everything happens in Jerusalem, and that's so. 
when the disciples of Emmaus under, you know, understand this, because they already understand it in their hearts, right. because the scriptures are broken open for them, the word of God himself is breaking open the word for them. So, of course, they're on fire. When they recognize him in the right, in, the, in this purely Eucharistic moment, they set off at once because... And it's probably late in the day now. It is. No, it's it's late in the day because they said, you know, how already they said, it's late, Lord, stay with us. It's going late. So they're walking back up seven miles, up, you know, uphill, up to the mountain, out to, up to Mount Zion, where Jerusalem, true pole of, of earth mm -hmm. to heaven. And they take literally the words that we hear at the end of Mass, go in peace. It, the old translation said, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In other words, Mass, I've said this before on this podcast, comes from the Latin word misio, which means mission. That's where misa is in, in Spanish a little bit closer to that, is that we go to Mass to receive the mission, the mission to announce the risen Christ, the mission to proclaim that risen Christ, the mission to share the presence of the risen Christ. And that's exactly what they did. When they went back, they found, gathered together the 11, and those with them, notice that little thing, and those with them. So they were probably part of those yep. of those with them, with the 11. Then they, the two re recounted what had taken place in the way and how he had been, been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, that's where the gospel yesterday ends. But let's read the next verse, verse 36. While they were still speaking, in other words, the Emmaus disciples, while they were still speaking about this, he stood in their midst and said to them, Jesus, peace be with you, which is what we heard last week on Divine Mercy Sunday. So if they had stayed in Emmaus, they wouldn't have encountered Christ. Now recognizing him, now appearing before the eleven and those with them, and continuity because Jesus asked him, "Do you have anything to eat?" They offered him broiled fish and a piece of bread, and he's you know, all these things happen because they went back to Jerusalem because they went and announced the risen Lord, which is what we're all called to do, and this is where, you know. Each and every one of us are sometimes in that Emmaus journey where we may be downcast because of our faith. We may be downcast because of other things happening in our lives, but Jesus comes and encounters us. And somehow, some way, maybe not in the same dramatic fashion as he did with the disciples of Emmaus, turns us around and says, you have to go to Jerusalem because that's where the action is happening. That's where the church is. Because if you stay, imagine if the disciples of Emmaus, they're, they're sitting there at table with Jesus. He, Jesus breaks bread for them. Their eyes are opened. They recognize Jesus. Jesus vanishes. And they just stay there. Wow, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Man, it's been a long day. Let's go to sleep. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow morning we'll go up the seven miles. Yep. No, immediately. They set out at once to tell the disciples, we've seen the Lord. He, Jesus Christ has truly been raised. That's what the gospel says. And that's what all of us are called to do. 
You know, if you remember back when we had our uh, our confirmation retreat, one of the quotes from Pope Benedict we shared was, you know, when you encounter this great joy, it's it's impossible to keep it to yourself. You know, it's like bursting out of you, and you want to share it. And we see that not only with these disciples in Emmaus, but really with the early church. You know, we, we could say, you know, uh, Bishop Barron said stuck in Emmaus. We could turn to the uh, to the eleven and say stuck in Jerusalem. Yeah, and they could have very easily say, no, we're, we're going to stay together and, and just keep it to ourselves. But they're called out of Jerusalem. It's this explosion out of Jerusalem to, to build the church. Yeah, and, and they go all over the world. You know, so, so we see kind of this reverse, uh, this reverse journey you know, as, the, as the Emmaus disciples go back to the 11. It, it, they, sh- they share their, their experience. They share their encounter with the Lord. And then this great joy that comes upon the apostles and most clearly seen at the descent of the of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and that they're sent out and that's really the reflection for for each of us today as we read this is you know can I recognize those places where maybe I'm stuck you know where maybe yeah I'm comfortable in this in, in this area of my faith and I don't you know I don't want to stretch you know, but it's the Lord calling me to something more. And, you know, every time we encounter the Lord, he's going to open us up. He's going to take us deeper. You know, I, I shared that we had our first communion, um, Jesus Day, parent retreat, family retreat. And I said to the to the parents and the kids who were there with them when after the Mass, I said, you know, may we never get to that place where we go, yeah, you know, I'm comfortable. You know, Mass, okay, yeah, I'm, I, can, I can maybe go today. But if I skip it, it's no big deal, you know. That we never get to that point of complacency with our faith, because, ah. because every time we encounter the Lord, we're going to learn something new. We're going to see something new in Him, in ourselves, in the in the church, in the in our community, and we are sent constantly on a new mission. And you mentioned the Spirit, and the Spirit Spirit is never stagnant. Nope. The Spirit is constantly moving us and pulling us in new directions to look at. To look at our faith, to look at Jesus in different ways. I, I, there's there's something that I've been repeating a lot, and it's been it's been in my mind in my prayer life the last week or so. Is something Pope Francis says a lot. It's allowing ourselves to be surprised yeah. by God. And I've been mentioning it in weddings a lot, and, and and in my in other preaching as well, because we don't obviously we don't like surprises, you know, unless it's like hey a car, like if we're on the prices right. <laughs> no, that's not how surprises usually go. Uh, we don't like surprises. Hey, surprise, you don't have a job. Surprise, or you're getting promoted. I don't really want to be promoted. Or in, in my case, surprise, you're going from one parish to another. Uh, He's not. I'm not, <laughs> that, I, that I know of as of the 24th of, uh, of April. And these surprises, we don't like. But, and this is so important to understand, when these surprises come from on high, when these surprises come from God, only good can come out of that. Like, you know, four years ago this week, I was I just come back from Easter vacation. I was went to my school in the morning, had a budget meeting with my principal and talked about things we were doing for the next year. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh, everybody, you know, I've heard about, you know, this guy was called to, to go into that parish. This guy's been called to go to that parish. Oh, I'm good. 
good friend of the year. I'm, I'm good. Everything's good. I was complacent because I'd been five years in the same parish. I, I knew all the ropes. I had been going through the motions. We had a nice Holy Week. I had a nice Easter vacation. I'm good. And this was early in the morning, 11 o'clock. And then Your I go to lunch. <laughs> and during lunch at 1230, I see Archbishop Swenski's name on my cell phone. And thankfully, the dining room was exactly 15 feet from my office. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And he says, I need you to go to Little Flower. And I'm like, you know, I, I was like, I don't want to go to Little Flower. I want to stay where I am because I'm happy here. I'm comfortable here. I know the lay of the land here. That's going to be hard work. Not that I wasn't, I didn't have hard work over there. But because I pledged obedience to the Archbishop and his successor, in other words, you know, Archbishop Fellower, and then his successor, Archbishop Wensky, I go, well, uh, it's not what I, again, it's not what I, this is exact words that I said. This hurts. I love this people. But, you know, that's where you want me to go. That's where I'll go. And it was a surprise, which I didn't like. And I'll be honest, the only thing that I liked about it was because the gentleman across the table from me who had been pestering me for a week, do you know who's coming to Little Flower? Because Father David, and he was like, and you know, and then I had to keep it from him. <laughs> Even though we talked every day, I had to keep it from him for a week, and he still hasn't forgiven me for that. Kept it from him for a week. Unbelievable. And when he found that, he goes, How can, I still have, I have a screen grab of that text. How could you keep this from me? I'm like, because I'm bound by obedience. And he told me, don't tell anybody. I didn't. So... It was a great surprise, or else I wouldn't be here, or else I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing. And it's not about the where, because I remember Bishop Ramon told me a very long time ago, when I was sent to an assignment, that I was not happy that I was sent to. And he said to me, Annie, all you need is an altar to offer the sacrifice to the Mass. He said, all you need was an altar. He didn't, he didn't expand that. I'm just like, I'm expanding on it. All you need is an altar to preach the word of God to offer sacrifice which is what this gospel is all about. It's Jesus breaking open the scriptures, breaking the bread, which is what we encounter in the Mass. Now, at the beginning, at the top of the show, uh, Jorge had to do take two. Uh, we had to do a take two because Jorge poked the bear. <laughs> and I'm like, George, seriously, you're going to start <laughs> off with that? And we had to, we had to start over because I wasn't ready to poke the bear yet. Uh, 26 minutes and we're good now. Okay, we're good now. Yesterday, I, 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 was, um, I was pointed. I was direct. I challenged, using the backdrop of this Emmaus Gospel, to challenge those who have made the Emmaus Retreat. Why? Because... Next week, not next week, two weeks from Thursday, I celebrate 21 years as a priest. As a, as a priest, and even before I was a priest, Emmaus, I was exposed to Emmaus. I want to say in '97 or '98 when I was my first year, not my first years of seminary, my first years of major seminary. So I was already five or six years in the seminary. I'm like, oh, this is good. I see men and women. You know, going into these retreats, their hearts are on fire. I've seen this retreat 
in my first parish that I was assigned to, I saw it reawaken a parish, literally raise a parish almost from the dead. I've seen it do great things. I've seen it turn people whose faith was lukewarm, and I'm being generous when I say lukewarm, to have their faith be on fire. It's done amazing things. Here in Little Flower, it's been present for 20 years. It's something that's been a blessing for this parish. It has, you know, been something that brought parishioners closer to Christ, has opened their eyes to do things that they normally wouldn't do before. It mobilizes people because if I need something, I'd say, oh, I need the men to do this, like they did on Good Friday, you know, taking Jesus around the block, you know, for the procession. I need the Emmaus men to do this. I need the Emmaus women to do that. Boom, they're there. And in every parish I've been at, that's what they do. Now, the reason why I was harsh, pointed in my in my homily yesterday to, to the point where even Father Andrew, who loves to pick fights, said, wow, you went there? <laughs> he, he was like, whoa. Is that as a pastor of souls, it pains me when I see people, as I said earlier, the, topic, the title of my homily and other podcast, when I see people stuck in Emmaus. Why? Because I see so many people who have whose faith is limited to purely the Emmaus experience. Now let's go back in history a bit. Emmaus was founded over 40 years ago by a wonderful woman named Myrna Gallagher. She founded the retreat, it was for women, with Father David Russell, who thankfully is still with us, with us, wonderful priest, wonderful preacher, extraordinary preacher, who founded the, the parishes of St. Louis and of St. John Newman, where Emmaus is amazing. But the reason that they founded this retreat was as a point of entry, as a point of departure, sound familiar? For people coming into the church to, as a springboard into the ministries of their of the parish. Now, one of the things that St. Louis and St. Uh, John Newman excel in is all the ministry that they have. And Emmaus in itself was not created to be a ministry. It was created to be just a retreat to expose you to the life of the church. In fact, the last topic or the last talk given, this is probably going to be redacted because they don't like me. They don't like people <laughs> talking about the retreat. The last topic that is given is loving God through service. In other words, it's just like what we're told to do at the end of Mass. That's why the retreat, just like the gospel, that's the genius of Myrna and Father Russell, is that it mirrors the Mass in its totality. And so it's saying, okay, this is what the parish has to offer. And the only place out of the eight parishes that I've been assigned to as a priest, and you could say two or three others when I was a seminarian, that I've seen this done correctly was when I was in Mary Helper Christian's parish in Parkland. 
And what happened when it happened there was you had a men's group and you had a women's group. And I want to concentrate on the men's group. The men's group met every Tuesday at 6 a.m. in the morning. You know who was with them every Tuesday at 6 a.m. in the morning, Jorge? You? Yeah, me. Yeah, he looked at me like, you? <laughs> yeah. That, you know, I, I, I don't do the 615 mass yet. Woo! Right. I would love to see that. Yeah, it was fun. They had Dunkin' Donuts, you know. It's like, come on. They, but no coffee. No, they, I didn't oh, have they coffee. had coffee, but they you, had were, coffee. you didn't have coffee. <laughs> so then people bring in, put a couple dollars in to help pay for the donuts. But they'd have a Bible study. And they would say, it was, the deacon was in charge of this. And they would say, and the deacon would say, okay, Jorge, the, uh, we're going to read first letter to the Corinthians because it's next 16 weeks ago, it's 16 chapters long. And so the gentleman would take that commentary and he would lead the discussions. Now the deacon was there in case, you know, things were got out of hand or Ooh. somebody said anything. <laughs> and then obviously the, the priest that was half asleep would, you know, would chime in every now and then. But I was there mainly to listen. And tremendous, tremendous discussions came out of that. Now, why am I talking about a Bible study? Why am I talking about a men's group? Because they would do Emmaus. And there were about 40 men, 6 a.m. in the morning. And then some, some would meet on, Monday, on Tuesday morning. Some would meet on Monday night. And when Emmaus came around, they would say, okay, guys, we have an Emmaus retreat coming around. All right. This guy's in charge of it. He needs 10, 15 guys help him out. And they would meet separately. separately. Now, the men's group, and the same thing with the women's group, whenever, when the men's came, everybody pitched in, everybody helped out, everybody served meals, helped out. Maybe somebody was called to, you know, from those 50, outside of those 15 to do a talk. But the men's group continued, and it was open to everyone you didn't have to have gone to Emmaus right. to be part of it. And great discussion was had. Let's take it, you know, as Emer would say, Emer Lagasse would say, let's take it up a notch. On top of that men's group, they had what we were called like accountability groups per se, that there were three or four guys after they were done that Tuesday morning, you know, sometimes they would go to mass, mass was at seven and they'd go either back to the Dunkin' Donuts or go to the nearest Starbucks or go to a, you know, breakfast place, a lot of great diners in the <laughs> Parkland, Coral Springs area. And so you, me and another guy would sit down and say, all right, guys, how are you doing this week? In terms of their faith, you're staying faithful to your prayers. You're staying faithful to, you know, taking your family to mass on Sunday. Or, or accountability. Jorge, I didn't see you at Mass on Sunday. Everything okay? Oh, the kid had a soccer tournament outside. Oh, but Mass is more important. You should have gone on Saturday night. Or It's just accountability. Now, we're both men. We don't like people calling us out when we've done something wrong. But these men were humble enough to say, you know, mm -hmm. we need this. We need this in our lives. And then when Emmaus would come around, okay, there were guys that had joined the men's group there that hadn't done Emmaus. Said, all right, now's your chance. Jump on the boat. Or the guys that, you know, that maybe weren't going to men's group, they were in the parish, I would announce it to them and invite them to go. And that's where I've seen this done. And so Emmaus was not a ministry. 
it was an experience. An experience that was done once a year, one for the men, one for the women. And from there, the men's group would grow, the women's group would grow to a point where people, and there was formation right. going on. Because, you know, Myrna never intended, Father Russell never intended, this is one of those times I wish, I wish I could call Father Russell yeah. <laughs> and get him on the, and get him online, but he's retired, leave him, I'll leave him alone. And get on and said, what was it intended for? It was intended for bringing people into the ministry of the parish, setting the parish on fire. And this is where we are right now. Why did I, as the pastor of Little Flower, make people tremendously uncomfortable? And I acknowledge that during my homily mm -hmm. yesterday, because Hori wasn't there. He was surrounded by screaming pre-K-3 and pre-K-4 children. Woo, that was and, fun. And his son was probably the quietest among them. Miraculously. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he was probably intimidated by all of them. But anyways, why did, I, why did I do this? Because I see the potential in this parish of something extraordinary happening, mm -hmm. of something extraordinary that could truly set this parish on fire. We just have to change the dynamic, change the way we do things. And we don't like change. We like that little complacency, the complacent way we, we do things. And I've said that, and the thing is, and, and uh, if, I, if I can jump in, jump in, because it's what you started with is very important. The, the Emmaus experience and the experience of our, of the people who have gone to Emmaus here is very real and very powerful. So it's it's not to downplay. No, you know we we have uh, like you said we've seen people's faith come to life. We've seen we've seen you know people come out of the retreat and and get involved in other ministries. So it's not that it's broken per se. It's just you know let's put it let's put things in perspective. You know what what is it? No, it's broken. <laughs> no, it's broken. Because when what frustrates me, like I see my, my, my people frustrated, we can't get people to come to the retreats. Okay, and if, if my people are frustrated, then as a pastor souls, I'm frustrated as well. Yeah, but I'm saying it's, it's not broken in that it's not effectively, uh, you know, having a, a change in people. You know, yes, people go to no, go on retreat and, and they encounter Jesus. Yeah, you know, it's no, not no, it's not sure. that it, you know Jesus is absent from that. It's no. it's what comes, and this is nothing new. You know, we go again to to go back to the disciples in the early church. You know, oh, I belong to Peter, I belong to James, I belong to Paul. No, no, we belong to Jesus Christ. Exactly. You know, so so it's get out of this mentality of, you know, I I'm part of this group and this group alone. You know, this this that's not that's not how ministry works. That's not how to, how a parish works. No. Yeah. You know, we we belong to this parish, and we are involved in these groups. But I don't belong to this group. Right. You know, I belong to Jesus Christ, and and I serve Him, and I love Him, and I, and I, you know, am formed in Him through X, Y, and Z group. The reason why I say, and you're and you're right in saying that during the retreat, I always call it the Emmaus miracle, that. A lot of things happened leading up to the retreat, and you could ask all the guys that serve it, all the women that serve it, that where the evil one is trying to prevent oh, them from giving an effective sure. retreat. And that happens to all retreats. 
But when the retreat itself is going on, it comes off swimmingly. That's the spirit of God at work. For sure. The reason why I say it's broken is when I see the frustration that they have mm-hmm. in trying to recruit people, in trying to bring others. Like, for example, you know, in the last ministry we had in Spanish, there were out of just a handful of the, of the many that went to the retreat were from our parish. And they're bringing guys, and that's fine, and they're bringing guys from, oh, I brought this guy from work. Right. Great. Or I brought this guy from this. Great. All right, but it's not just about that weekend. Is it okay? Is that man totally transformed, or is that woman totally transformed in that they're going to announce the risen Christ, not saying, oh, I had a great weekend. You know? Now what? No, now we have to go back to Jerusalem in haste to announce the risen Lord. And so what I'm saying is that in that part, that how do we get more people involved? There is, and that's what I see where I smile and I say, okay, there is so much potential here that we are not realizing. And so the pastor has to kind of shake the tree and let some coconuts fall. That's your job. Some people's head. (laughs) Thank you. But and that's what Jesus did during his ministry. Absolutely. Shaking the status quo. And it's something that we cannot be complacent on because the gospel does not allow complacency. The gospel is supposed to stir in us something new. Now, we may feel comfortable there and only there, but that's where then that's my fault as your pastor for not forming you better for not instructing you better, for not teaching you the ways of the faith. Because when you have the narrow view and see the world only through the view of the 24th chapter of St. Luke, of Emmaus, then we have a very limited view of our faith and a very limited view of the church. And I mentioned on the yesterday is that we have, you know, all these beautiful spiritualities. The church has a wealth. You could be charismatic. You could be, you know, you could be contemplative prayer. You could expose yourself to Ignatian, Franciscan, Benedictine. In this parish, we have Carmelite spirituality because of our sisters. And all these things and all these books that are read, this wealth of spiritual greats, of spiritual giants, of saints, that you could read and say, wow, look at how they look at Jesus Christ. And it's not just through this prism. There's nothing wrong in and of itself in the retreat, in the Igneous experience. And this is something that has been echoed by every priest that I've talked to, that we discuss in meetings, we've been discussing for the last 20 years. There's nothing wrong in itself with the retreat. What is wrong is what follows after, is that we don't go back to Jerusalem. that's a, a final thought here, because you you said what what's needed is that deeper formation, right? And and I think sometimes, and this isn't this isn't uh, strictly just for Emmaus. This is for anything, any group, myself included, with with religious ed. You know, we, when we look at mass attendance, sometimes we get stuck in numbers, yeah, and we say, oh, you know, I want a huge retreat. I want fifty guys. You know, the gospel we just read was Jesus and two men. And the depth that they received, the formation that they received in that in those two men on retreat, those two men on a journey, 
you know, changed the, literally changed the world because they went back and, and became another witness for Jesus Christ. And, and Lord knows what they did for the rest of their life. You know, we don't, we don't hear about Cleopas again, but I doubt he kept quiet for the rest of his life. You know, so what's needed is, is not so much, and this is some, you know, what we spoke about ministerially here at the parish when, when you took over. We had this huge, you know, wide lineup of ministries, but they were all very, very shallow. You know, so, so what's needed is not so much the, the width, but the depth. You know, can we go deep? You know, can we create an environment? And again, not just Emmaus that, that I'm talking about here, just as a parish, and really individually, as, as, as we're listening to this podcast, as, as we reflect on this passage and what it means for us. You know, can I create depth in my life? You know, so that it's not just a numbers game. Yeah, I went to Mass uh, 45 times out of the 52 weeks. That's pretty good, all right? I, I, I got a B plus and I, I passed the test, right? Now, can there be depth to the way we live our faith? You know, where it's not just an hour on Sunday, but, but really, let me make this part of my life. You know, I got 10, 10 minutes available. Let me pray a decade of a rosary. Let me pop by the chapel because I have some free time. You know, the kids are asleep and uh, there's nothing going on right now. So let me devote that time to the Lord. You know, and it's not about, like we spoke about a few weeks ago, keeping score. You know, but just creating that depth right. in ourself. And I have seen in the last four years men and women yep. who have gone through the retreat who have gone on yep. to participate in other ministries and go deeper into their faith, yep. to go and spend time before the Blessed Sacrament every day in adoration, to go to daily Mass, to go and do all these things. Now, it's not for everyone. I understand right. that. Yep. But we just can't be doing retreats for the sake of doing retreats. That's something that I preached about mm -hmm. last year when I when I, Deacon Flatus was not with me as he usually is at ten thirty mass yesterday, and and when I, when he saw my homily, he goes, oh, "I've been telling him that for years, even before you got here, Father." And so, the Spirit is moving us. Now, if you want to share this podcast, oh, Father Manny's blasting Emmaus and tearing Emmaus <laughs> limb from limb. Go ahead. That's not what I did. Okay. If you want to come talk to me, come talk to me. If you if if you want to share with other parishes so other parishes could join everybody being ticked off at five, fine. Okay. The gospel is supposed to make us yep. uncomfortable. And I emphasized this point yesterday. If you come to whether it be mass or to open up the gospel, or open up just to feel good, then you're living the heresy of the prosperity gospel that is very popular in the United States, but it is heretical. Because you cannot have, you know, Jesus Christ is risen, is risen indeed, without the cross. And this is where we're at, brothers and sisters. So, open up that gospel, which you've read a million times, read it again, digest it, discuss it. You want to argue with me? Argue with me. But what I see is the potential of an evolution, if you speak, if you, if you will, of this retreat, not of this ministry. 
because it's not supposed to be a ministry. And the results, the results will astound us. Yes, yes, for you, for you, for you. A running back. Wow. That's your fiance's boy. Exactly. It's you a no-brainer. He's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> that guy just... No, but just... No. Get out of here. <laughs> what was that last night? All right. Is it just me? Or does Boston play with an extra man on the ice they, they for do. the entirety of the game? By the way, if, if you don't know the history of what was that last night, that referred to <laughs> uh, Tampa Bay killing us two years ago in a playoff game and that would prompted me saying what was last night last night yes it does seem like oh, they're playing with man. one or two extra minutes like they're perpetually on the power play and their penalty kill well no first of all well we scored on a penalty on a power play yesterday miraculously yep. uh, which was their best power play of, of the year yep. of, of the of the of the playoffs that was that was beautifully execu- but, executed and then they forgot how to do it the rest of the way but no Boston is just a well-oiled machine. And we, you and I don't know about hockey, that much about hockey. We just see what's in front of us, mm-hmm. and we're seeing a superior team. Now, game two was an aberration, maybe. But going back to Boston for game five and winning on Wednesday night, don't look good. And, I'll, and, and one thing I will say about the Panthers, and this you don't have to be a hockey expert to, to do this, a lot of small dumb mistakes. There's yep. two goals scored yesterday where they turned the ball over at the Boston the, blue line. The puck. <laughs> they turn what did I say? <laughs> the ball. Sorry, I'm in football mode, turn the ball over. Turn the puck over on at the at, at the blue line and let Boston keep the yep. zone and Boston went tic tac toe, boom, score. Yep. They're just good. Their goals, like for example, on uh, was it Friday was the first game here at, in South Florida, where that first goal that they scored, Lion it was it was a simple slap shot. Yep. Towards a goal from you know that any goal goalie just grabs, and he whiffed on it, and it hit the back of the net. So that's I don't know. Yeah, it look they're, they're sharp. They're and they're disciplined. Yep. How many? And I don't know if you watch the TNT broadcast or the or the Fox Sports broadcast or the Bally Sports broadcast with Randy Miller. The Panthers are just making dumb mistakes, and they say that we have to stay out of the penalty box. Yep. And they don't. And then two seconds later. Yeah. Hooking, cross-checking, yep. all that stuff. So that's our Panther report. It's But uh, hey, they made the playoffs. They made the playoffs. God bless them. Uh, but Boston, you know, that, that I think it's been, it's been nine years since the President's, uh, President's Trophy winner, the one that got the best record yep. of the season, won the Stanley Cup. They, they look like they're on their way. But. Playoffs, Santa Cup playoffs are long, and anything can happen. And we were this close to the seventh seed. All we had to do we was win one of those last two games. Win or tie one of those we last. We would have played Carolina. And, yep. that, and listen, Carolina always gives us fits, but that's yep. that's a different story. That's a different story. But uh, Steve Goldson ma- mentioned something yesterday, especially about the power play. We beat Washington in the first round. We struggled to beat Washington yep. in that first round. So there's something, and the only thing I could think of is coaching. And we, I know we switched coaches. There's something, there's a secret sauce that's missing uh, there. 
for when you get into the Stanley Cup playoffs, because that that's that that something is missing, and you're not going to get over that hump mm-hmm. until you discover it. And, and it could be hot goaltender. You know, you have Adelowski up there in in Tampa. I think I got the, the name right. Uh, you have him in Tampa, and 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 that those are the things when you have a hot goalie. But when you're switching goalies, yep. I don't. I mean, yes, I think they took line out in Game Three because. Yeah, three went by him. The first one shouldn't have gone by him. But I don't know if I would have started Bobrovsky yesterday. No. Uh, but we'll see. And that's the uh, the longest he's sp- spoken about hockey all season long. The Heat. Wow. Up 2-1. That's, uh... Wow. That's the the series. Just It's, a it's, crazy it's one of those weird... Yeah. G, uh, G, Giannis we got, went down. We got blown out. And then we no. Then Gian, we, well, no, we won the first game. No, I know, but game two we got destroyed beautifully. And then game three we turn around and yeah, no, give game, it right game back. Game two without without Giannis, they just went crazy beyond the three point yep. mark. I did not see a second of Saturday's game. You were at, and I don't think you did either. Nope. Um, I was at. You were at a gala. I was. I had dinner plans with my sister, and my sister does not like when I, my attention is elsewhere. So phone was in my pocket. Every now and then I checked the score when she wasn't looking, but uh, so I'm like, "Oh wow!" Okay. Have, it, have it right queued up on the watch. Exactly. No, that <laughs> that that was not happening. So, but Oladipo going down at the end—that yeah. was so. That, that poor man has struggled to come back from injury and 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 been there and and uh, we, you know maybe a career ender because that was just nasty. Actually, he's not joining us because she's in mourning. She's still he's, no. She, he's she, one of he's one of her favorites. Yeah, because she goes to, he goes to mass with her. Yep. And they they sat near each other. I don't know if it was on Easter. I think it was on Palm Sunday, and they gave peace to one another. Yep. So it's like she thinks he's that's her boy. <laughs> so no, but it, they they're playing great. And Duncan Robinson, what a revelation on on Saturday! Welcome back to the party, pal. You know it's that's great to have you. Not having Tyler, that's that's big. Yep. But I'm glad Duncan is stepping up, and Jimmy's still being Jimmy. The one that I still have problems with, Bam. You know, you played a decent game on Saturday. Uh, Bam needs to step it up because Giannis, I, I, uh, he's going to come back at some point. He ha- he has to. You know, they, they keep saying, oh, they keep evaluating him. They keep, But I don't. I, I wonder if Milwaukee's out, oh, no, we're going to save him for the rest of the playoffs. Oh, you can't save him for the rest of the playoffs. Nope. The playoffs may end now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, these are two Heat fans talking, so... We'll see. We'll see what happens there because the next heat game is on. I can't find it. When do we play again? We play tonight uh, at seven thirty, and Milwaukee is still favored by six points. So we'll oh. see. Maybe he plays tonight because Milwaukee does not want to go back to Milwaukee down three one, yep. which is hard to overcome. But they can overcome it. So that's the Heat, and then really quickly the Marlins. Wow. Nice pleasant surprise to start the year here. So we looked it up. Five out of we played seven series. If we have, be, we have won every series that does not involve the New York Mets. That's right. We, we won have, five out of uh, seven through yesterday. I think it was through the start of yesterday's games. We've had the eighth most difficult schedule to start the season. And the division leader in our division, Atlanta, has twenty ninth yeah, hardest of of thirty. Twenty ninth, yeah, twenty ninth or weakest, if you want yeah. to say, the second weakest yep. schedule. Yep. Bumps. But we see them tonight, and we see them tonight, and we're only two games back. That's right. Uh, we're doing you, this with a, with a depleted um, rotation. You saw a double rainbow on Saturday. I did. What did you see? I did a doubleheader sweep. No, with no. With, with one, with, but a player did something you were not expecting to do. 
Oh, Avi. Avi, yeah. And then yesterday, too. He Avi, got one yesterday, too. Avi got an RBI on Saturday. And we he lost hit a, yesterday. And he hit a three-run homer yesterday. We lost yesterday. <laughs> How about, you know. But a doubleheader sweep, both one-run games? Like, yeah. who is this? Who is this team? We, that was our downfall last year. Yeah, one-run games. not win the one-run games. We would have been in the wild card race all the way to the we end. Haven't, we haven't lost a one-run game this season. How about that? So the Marlins are surprising. And with a depleted starting rotation. And yes, and with Sandy only that that complete game yeah, being the bicep, gem. Bicep tendonitis, so he didn't throw yesterday. Yeah, you know, or it, Saturday. I forget when he was. Fine, let, let let him yep. get things you know get sorted out. Uh, but yeah, with, and the bullpen's been a revelation yep. also. How about that bullpen? Yep. Uh, I'm looking at the flag right now. Uh, you were talking about. There. Oh. You were talking about, uh, I mentioned what you said to CJ yesterday, that the, the Bruins looked like they were playing with six men on the, on the ice. He says, yeah, that's how I feel. I remind me. It's like we're playing with six men on the field <laughs> when you're supposed to have 11. Uh, they have lost six in a row since they started off 2-0. and You were saying, oh, wow. oh, the MGM and all these people have them as the third favorite to win the, the MLS. Wow. I'm like, Yeesh. Is it bad I forgot they're playing? That's not well. You you were bi- the Heat were playing. You were busy. They played, no, like they've they lost six Houston. in a row. I didn't even know they were playing. Period. Oh, stop. Tyler Van. I'm Dyke. just being honest. Tyler Van Dyke <laughs> sticking around. I guess. Yeah. Do you buy that? Do you buy that? This listen. This is a kid who grew up a Dolphin fan. Grew up a Canes fan. And that's the agent. Uh, yeah, that was probably stirring things up. And smoke. they probably found some coins somewhere in a couch yeah. and. Through it his way, but that's the world we're living in. But you made a point to me, you know, in conversation last week about NIL. Oh yeah, man, this is annoying now. NIL, the original intent of NIL was for the a kid to make a few bucks signing autographs at a local trading card shop, which doesn't exist anymore. Yep. Right, but it wasn't to sign multi-million dollar endorsement deals. Like, come on, man, what really? Now you got 18-year-olds saying, oh, $5 million isn't nearly enough. I want more. Like, dude, come on. You're 18. You're 20. Uh, but but, who's, but to your point, who's going to regulate that? Who is going to regulate that? Like the, 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 that NCAA, ship, the ship has sailed. NCA is not going to regulate nope. it unless they come up with a different structure. And my worry is that the SEC or the Big Ten, who are the two super conferences, form a regulatory or form their own no. separate entity outside the NCA. And, and listen, I'm, and I say this as a as a UM fan, fully cognizant that NIL has 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 helped favored us. Miami. Yeah, we went to the Final Four. You know that NIL has done a lot for Miami athletics, but no, I, the system is it's gone too far, and we're a, a year and a half into it. No, such is life. Anyways, that's all we got in sports. Draft day is this weekend, and not much excitement because the Dolphins don't have a first round pick. We pick, uh, I think, fifty one. On Friday, Ooh. no idea what we're going to do there. So enjoy the draft. Uh, share this episode with people. It may rankle people the wrong way, but again, God's trying to get us out of our comfort zone and lead us to where he wants us to be. Let yourself be surprised by God. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.